0: Do you like our owl? It's artificial? Of course it is. Must be expensive. listening to the brand new episode of in love with the process i'm your host mike pecci how are you how's it going what's happening what's new um yes i just wanted to come on today it's a thursday uh to catch up with you guys you're listening to the sounds of lay avenue love these guys so i'm mixing everything live today that's why I have awkward pauses. (laughs) What's going on? How are you? So today, I wanted to come on and uh, sort of address the elephant in the room, in our industry. Um, We are, I think it's day three. Is today day three? It started on Tuesday. Um, Day three of the WGA, the Writers Guild of America strike. Um, And um, how, because it's affecting a lot of people. It will be affecting a lot of people. Um, And I want to just sort of go over it all because I – okay, here's the deal. Today we're going to get into a lot of the details behind this stuff because I feel like most people don't read shit. (laughs) Let's be real. I think most people just see headlines, right? And uh, we are currently a culture that is driven – and is uh, manipulated by headlines, right? Memes. We're a meme culture, um, and so um, yeah, I want to get into it. Uh, how many of you know why the writers are going on strike? How many of you in the mo- that aren't in the movie business understand what's at stake? Um, because it's it's a pretty pretty big deal, and it's more than just people wanting to get paid more money. Um, it goes into Actually, this is the first real strike that is tackling uh, something that's going to become an issue for most people, for most industries, for most businesses, which is the use of artificial intelligence, AI. This is a big part of why the strike is happening as well. So we're going to get into all of it. But first, I just want to welcome you. Have a seat. Relax. Relax. It's a little early for a beer but if you want we can do that you guys want to have some beers together let's do it uh later on today i think uh, my buddy will's coming over and we're going to be doing a barbecue but it's raining so i guess it's not a barbecue we'll see there'll be some beers there'll be some red meat that i'm not supposed to eat all that stuff will be a big part of my life tonight <laughs> but i'm looking forward to it um so let's see what else is going on i as many of you know if you guys follow me on Instagram at Mike Pecci, um, I just yesterday did a post. I am selling off uh, the last of my 12 km t-shirts for the podcast. And I'm also selling off the last um, storyboard sketch shirts that I have for the show. Uh, I know many of you have been asking, a lot of super fans have been asking for me to tell you when, I was selling these things, and uh, I tried to reach out to as many as I could. My fucking inbox is a mess on Instagram right now, so I'm just trying to sort through all that. And I, here's the real thing. I think I'm fucking shadow banned on Instagram. I think that's what's going on. When's the last time you guys saw a post from me? Because I'm posting every fucking day, usually two or three times a day. But I think Instagram's pissed off at me. And I think they're pissed off at me because of all the people that have been writing to me to see 12 cam, And I think that's a big deal. I think that's what's going on right now. I just realized it yesterday where I'm like, fuck, man, how many people haven't even seen my post? God, Oof, I get so mad about that shit. It's supposed to be social media. It's not like I'm out there hunting for people that don't follow me. It's just I'm trying to get in touch with the folks that do follow me. And then the games and the hoops that you have to jump through to appease the algorithm, which, let's be real, the algorithm is not some maleficent force. It's created by that company. It's created by Instagram, by Facebook, by whatever they call it, the metaverse now. Um, And those guys are going out of their way to make it very difficult for us to either reach out to our fans, make money off our fans, uh, because they want to do it for us. They want us to pay them to do it, which is pretty crazy. I don't know if you guys notice this yet but uh you can now buy a blue check mark it's fucking sinister shit man that these guys and i know it doesn't seem like a big deal right who cares mike if you could buy a blue check mark who cares if your fans well i mean it's part of my livelihood so i, I do care whether or not you guys hear my shit but it's just, it's just a small version of the manipulation that's going on with this giant company and how they fucking how they play us, man, how they keep us on the phone, how they keep us tuned in, how they keep us just working for the man. You know that bit in um, uh, Ready Player One, right? When you become indebted to the corporation and then you're put into these worker booths. I forget what they call them in the book, but these worker booths where your task is to just be plugged in online all the time. You have to do a certain amount of hours a day and you're just doing these media-like tasks doesn't it feel like adding hashtags and fucking, you know, changing your SEOs and and uh, making sure that uh, you're doing polls and everything? Doesn't it feel the same way, right? It's like when you're on your fucking iPhone all the time. It's the same thing. You're just locked into the shit. And, you know, you're making other people wealthy. That's what you're doing. Okay, get ready. Get ready for today because uh, I may fall down in a couple rant holes uh, on today's episode, but... Hopefully for good reason. Okay, so mm. let me look at my notes here. I want to tackle this the right way. So let's talk about the WGA strike, and I'm going to walk you guys through this. I'm going to use an article on Deadline as a outline. So to keep me sort of on on point here. So if you are a writer, if you are a union writer, if you're um uh, a strong supporter of the strike, and I say the wrong thing on the show, or if you're like, Mike, you really don't have all the information, or maybe what you're saying is hearsay, write to me, tell me, and maybe we'll get you on the show, and we can uh, talk about it some more. Let's see here. So basically, the overall is that um, the strike started on Tuesday, um, and let me see here. Let me just cherry pick through this article. The two sides. On one side, there are the Hollywood Studios Network streamers and hundreds of other motion picture and TV producers, which make and or distribute most content. They are represented uh, in the talks by the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Ah, I like how we split it into two teams. Okay. On the other side is the Writers Guild of America, which represents writers in Hollywood who are members Uh, which most working scribes are. Supporting the WGA are many of the other powerful guilds and unions, including SAG, um, which is the Actors' Union, and the Directors' Guild of America. Um, So those folks are supporting them. What is the issue? So what they're saying, and I agree with this, the survival of writing as a profession is at stake in this negotiation. I definitely agree with this and we'll get into why. Um, So this strike really has been uh, forced to have happened because of what's happening with streaming. So it's driven in large part by the shift in streaming. Writers are uh, finding their work devalued in every part of the business. While companies' profits have remained high and spending on content has grown, writers are falling behind. The do, 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 companies have been used, to, the, I completely agree with this statement. The companies have used the transition to streaming to cut writer pay and separate writing from production, um, worsening working conditions for series writers on all levels. We've seen this before. This is a tactic that has been used since the internet became the delivery system for entertainment. Uh, I've talked about this before on the show. As a music video director, you know, progressing out of the 90s into the early 2000s into the infancy of YouTube, um, all of the record labels and the folks that were hiring us at that time uh, really hadn't sort of caught on to the value of YouTube yet. And so when they were playing with it, they're dipping their toes in the water to see if this thing worked, they would make deals with producers and directors and they would say, hey, look, this doesn't have the the wide audience appeal that MTV does. So we're just gonna give you a little bit of money to do this, right? We're not gonna give you the full budget. I don't know how many times I was told, look, this isn't going on MTV, so we're not gonna give you that kind of money, right? I get it. When you're start when you're putting your toes in something experimental, it makes sense, right? But in typical fashion, with any company that is driven by profits, which is every company in this country, um, that's that's a blanket statement i get in trouble for doing those that's most countries in this most companies in this country um what they do is they take full advantage of it so they make these deals and they say it's just going on streaming and then as they discover with streaming streaming uh was a more focused uh advertising medium for all their fans Fans could subscribe so they didn't have to tune in at random times of the day on MTV to try to catch a music video. They would get an email specifically sent to them saying there's a brand new music video out. So it was incredibly focused. It was incredibly useful for marketing campaigns of these record labels. But because they had asked the creatives early on, hey, will you, will you give us a deal because we don't know if this is going to do anything, they just kept that deal. The whole time right because after that you go back and you go well dude um now that you're reaching this many people maybe you guys should pay the full amount that's ah, not for tv though it's just for the internet right it's not mtv then mtv dies and then they're like well look we know there's no mtv anymore but if you don't do it for this rate then we'll get this other young kid to do it for this rate right and so then they start putting you in this corner this is our fight as creatives in the corporate industry consistently, these companies are either begging us to, uh, give our work and our hard labor for nothing for them to develop something, which I understand if we're going to go into it together, but most of the time that's a friend that comes to you and says, Hey man, I've got this idea. Um, would you work on my film for free this weekend? Um, I'm paying for it all right. And uh, if this progresses and then if this becomes something great, then I'll bring you with me. I'll bring you with me when we do the feature, when we do something bigger and better. Right? That's that's the sales pitch, and I try to to stand solid with that sales pitch whenever I do it. But these aren't your fucking friends. These are companies. So remember this, young, <laughs> young uh, industry kids. Right. That when these companies come to you and ask you for favors and ask you to do stuff, know that they're going to, as soon as they get away with something, they're going to put you right into that lineup. And then that's what you become. That's what you are. And if you don't fall within that line, if you're not that person that is doing what you need, what they need at that point in time, the, the threat is that there are a ton of you out there. There are a lot of people that want to get into this business. And if you don't fucking do it, I'll get the next young kids to do it. And if you think I'm inflating this, If you think that I'm making a big deal over something that doesn't seem like it would actually happen, it does. And I know this for a fact because I've seen it from both fucking sides. I've seen it from my side, from myself and my friends, but I'm also friends with people that are producers and work in companies and do these things. And I've heard over beers, the bragging that happens when people are like, yeah, I got that at fucking like, you know, one quarter of the price. You know what I mean? It's crazy. So anyway, step one in the whole of Mike's rants today. So let's go back into this article. Keep me on track here. The company's behavior has created a gig economy inside of a union workforce. And their immovable stance in this negotiation Um, Hold on a second. I hate it when a website loads an ad and it just shifts everything. And this negotiation is betrayed a commitment to further devaluing the profession of writing for their refusal to guarantee any level of weekly employment on episodic television uh, to the creation of a quote-unquote day rate in comedy variety, that's dangerous, to their stonewalling on free work for screenwriters and on AI for all writers Uh, They have closed the door on their labor force and opened the door to writing as an entirely freelance profession. No such deal could ever be uh, contemplated by this membership. Okay, so let's talk about briefly the little I know about the unions. I am not a union director, um, and uh, I'm not in any union's specifically just because I kind of work on the outskirts. Most of the stuff I do is my own. Most of the stuff I do doesn't require me to be in the union. I have worked on union gigs. I have been, um, you know, I forget what they call it, where they, they give you the ability to work on a union gig, even though you're not in the union, you can only do it for a certain amount of time. There's some sort of grace is what they say or something like that. I don't know. I have a love and hate relationship with union stuff too. I mean, it all really comes down to capitalism at the back end of it. But overall, the idea of a union is smart, right? Because you have a bunch of workers working in a factory somewhere. The guy at the top's looking for all the profits. He's pushing you to work real hard. People are getting tired. They're cutting their hands off at a machine shop. So the union gets together. The entire workforce gets together. And in that union... Turning to the person that is looking for profits, you're able to shut it down and you're able to say, hey, guess what? No one's going to fucking work until you listen to the workers and until you're fair with the workers. Isn't it kind of shitty that in our culture we need this to happen? Isn't this like, take a hot second and just sort of examine our culture, right? Where we're strictly driven by profits and it takes... It takes our profits being stopped or slowed down or degraded for us to sit there and go, hmm, I wonder what it's like to work in my shop. (laughs) Hmm, what is this thing I'm tasting and feeling, says Scrooge on fucking Christmas Eve. Is this empathy? Like what? Mm, where did this come from? Oh, I don't know. The fact that you were suddenly seeing your bank account shrink or your 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 profit margin shrink right it's craziness and it's a whole other rant that I feel like I'm not qualified to go down on but there's a there's a lot about this when you see a company become publicly traded it changes everything and then you ask yourself about investors and investments and stocks and who's investing in your stuff and are they investing in your sneaker company and how many of those people that are handing you money even give a fuck about sneakers and why are they doing it? Oh, profits, right, profits, profits, profits. And then when you actually come down to it, we like to demonize because there's such a disparity of wealth right now, right? There's a massive disparity of wealth, especially out here in Los Angeles. I mean, if you want to see it like personified in real life in front of you come out here to los angeles and just see the difference in wealth (laughs) literally streets in the streets of difference or you just drive a little bit higher into the mountains and the fucking wealth that's up there is insane but we like to demonize those folks but the reality is each and every person the american dream is to be that person that is making that money stacking that cash piling it up this is what we teach our kids this is what we teach ourselves with our entertainment why are shows like the kardashian Hughes? why was fucking you know trump's fucking reality tv show what the fuck was it called the apprentice huge each and every one of these shows about cooking and about like the contest and the the scr- like the scraping and scrounging and the, the, the pushing to be the best that's what we do. This is the results of our culture. And so it's kind of sick that we have to, the only way to get most people to be empathetic when it comes to business is by slowing down their money. It's crazy, right? When you think about it, I don't know how to fix that problem. I don't know how to fix that problem. I mean, it's it's in our DNA at this point. As a, as a country, it's in our DNA. As a planet, it's in our DNA. Yeah. Anyway, so let me let me continue. I'm going to try to keep control over these fucking rags. Um, Let's see, let's see. Scrolling ahead here. Okay, what's at stake? Uh, Hollywood is just emerging for the from the impacts of COVID. Uh, in the related production slowdowns, more recently, studios, network streamers, and producers have laid off thousands of workers. For an industry that a year ago was collectively questioning its own future, a strike-related work stoppage, after layoffs and COVID-related shutdowns, could prove staggering. Could prove a, th- a staggering three-punch combination. What a very creative way of writing that. It's very true, though. I mean, everybody, you know, is trying to get back to work. After COVID, everybody's trying to find a, a sense of normalcy. I think ultimately that's what's being said here: is that you know, <laughs> I remember the day. I remember when my roommate came in and said, "Dude, there's this thing that's coming." I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." And then it just knocks us on our on our on our heels, and everybody has been looking for a sense of normalcy since. Like, how can I go back to just doing my job? just finding a way to be happy with life because have you guys noticed that since covid everything is about anxiety everything's about stress right (laughs) this is like a big big anti-corporation rant today but like companies have then realized through probably accidental means that if we're stressed out if we're fucking freaked out they make more money you know, the fucking toilet paper, the great toilet paper fucking thievery of what was that 2021 or 2020, you know, like they've figured out that making us upset makes more money. People are depressed. People turn to their depression, um, uh, try to solve their depression by turning to purchasing things late at night. You're on Amazon, you're buying a bunch of bullshit that doesn't exist that you don't fucking need. You know what I mean? It's insanity. Anyway, what do writers want? Specifically, the current strike, the WGA seeks to gain in compensation, residuals, and curves on mini rooms, where groups of writers work in advance of the production of television series to break stories and write scripts. The guild has argued that producers are well able to compensate writers more fairly, um, and we're going to get more into detail. Let's see. There's nothing. There's nothing like listening to Mike because I should have done my research ahead of time. What are, What do studios, networks, and streamers want? Quite simply, they want to make sure that they keep making profit. Uh, one line of argument from the producers says the streaming is still an emerging business. Here it is. Here it is. And studios and networks don't exactly know what profit margins will look like. There it is, man. There's that fucking pitch. But Netflix uh, co-CEO Ted um, Sardos recently estimated his company expected to be paid... Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm reading ahead of time. I got to keep my brain here. Ted Santos rec- recently estimated his company's expected content spend for 2024 at $17 billion and reported uh, quarter one f- free cash flow that zoomed to $2.1 billion compared uh with the 800 million a year ago quarter that's pretty healthy emerging business is what they say um let's see officially the amptp which is the production companies all those folks has been more vague about its goals beyond the desire to see production continue one recent statement from the group read we are all partners in charting the future of our business together and are fully committed to reaching a mutual beneficial deal with our Bargaining partners. The goal is to keep keep production alive so that all of us can continue working and continue to deliver what consumers, to consumers, the best entertainment product available in the world. (laughs) Um, Let's see. So there's a bunch of TV shows that are going to be affected. I think really where you're going to see it as a viewer is on a lot of like the talk shows, the late shows, the tonight shows, the places that. You know, they're essentially writing every morning for those shows, right? So the, those are the places that you're going to see. You're going to see a lot more segments um, where the host is like hanging out with f- like uh, sort of doc style segments where it's hanging out with his crew members in the back. And maybe they're trying to find some sort of comedy uh, without writing it. <laughs> you got to see a lot of that. Um impact on movies. In a worst case scenario, this is for you non-movie folks. In a worst case scenario, the theatrical release calendar will see several uh, date changes for movies that are coming out, some as soon as quarter four for this year, um, while the 2024 theatrical release calendar remains roughly intact in its first six months uh, with completed movies coming out in the pipeline. Beyond that, it gets squishy. Um, There is a scenario in which studios might need to pull from quarter four 2023 into 2024 so there could be a delay on all of your comic book movies <laughs> that you guys are uh so so excited about seeing um okay hold on here let's let's continue what went wrong with the talks because it was a negotiation that happened before the strike it's not like one day they woke up and they're just like let's take, let's do a strike many of the biggest issues were in TV this is what I've heard too Uh, such getting more writers on sets and what the studios are referring to as mandatory staffing. Hmm, Interesting. And what the WGA is calling preserving the writer's room. Um, The the companies rejected this with the studio sources saying that this is difficult because it could last for months, particularly with the streamers where they often don't greenlight a show until all the scripts are written. Here's the big... Okay, let me break from reading here's the big deal. One of the things that this this business wants you to do, especially in the movie business and apparently even in TV, because I haven't worked in TV and that's why I'm curious about this. um, They expect you to write on spec. Everybody wants you to write on spec. There was a time where you would go in and you could sell a movie on a pitch. You could sell a movie on a treatment. You can go in there and go, here's the idea. Here's what I want to do. And that production company... Uh, that studio would say we like you we like your work let's do it we'll develop this together development usually meant that there was development funds that they would pay you for your hard work these days this is how these companies work and this is why there's a fight these days they've leveraged it to the point where they're like no no no, no. we're not even going to look at it until you do a script so write a spec script write something now that's hours and hours and months and months of work on the part of a writer, right? Unpaid work, right? Most often not retroactively paid work. So that's a hard hustle to break story, to break a character and to do that stuff. Now, being someone that has done that with my buddy Will, we've done that together. Um the danger in that is that we're only then writing for ourselves and we're writing for potentially a client who is then going to read the script and just sort of look at it. It becomes sort of like this passage to get into the room at this point where they look at it and they go, oh, cool. You know how to write a script. There's some good stuff in here, but we're going to do a rewrite. We're going to write it again. Now, you would think that at that point, that's when they start to pay you, right? Hey, we we like this. We, we want to go into uh, bed with you guys. We want to make something with you guys, but we have some notes, Okay, so what are the notes? Do you want to change someone's name? Do you want to just change a few locations? No, no, no. We have some pretty intense structural notes, which will will require a whole structural rewrite, a whole new thing. Okay, so okay, so but 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 we know that this is a lot of work for you, and we appreciate that work. But um, you're not going to get paid for that work yet. Like if we if we sell this script. Then what we'll do is we'll pay you a rate for being the screenwriter. You'll get a rate on this movie. Um, And then, you know, maybe we can talk about some sort of residuals, right? This is theatrical at one point, okay? So then maybe we'll talk about that kind of thing. Okay, what choice do I have, right? So I'm sitting in the room with this giant producer who makes these amazing fucking movies who's like, I like your work, right? And you're like, oh, shit, okay. And he's like, this is your chance, man. If you, if you go back and you just do some of this legwork, then we'll make this movie, and then we'll go on to the next movie, and we'll make this next movie. I mean, th- that's where the business was before this. <laughs> it's insanity. I mean, I talked to my, my friends that are writers, and I'm like, how the fuck do you do it? I mean, it's already difficult enough to be in this business, but the amount of work that th- these people are doing for free, consistently, and they have to. And you can buck against the system and say, hey, look, I'm not going to do it for free. But you're, just not, you're never going to get the situation, right? You go into a room, you pitch it to people. I pitch it to my friends that are producers. I pitch movies. And they go, it's great. It's a cool idea. I'd like to see where you go with it. And you go, well, yeah, I'd like to see where I would go with it too. How about we go there together? Well, we need a script though. Oh, okay. All right. But you know that's going to take some time and energy. Now, meanwhile... This is me projecting, but in the head of a producer, they're sitting there going, mm, all right, he's going to buck against me. He's going to complain, but look, we're not spending our own money on on the development, right? We're not going to spend our own cash on this shit, okay? We're going to try to get the studios to give us cash, but the only way that I can get the studios to give us cash for this or finances to give us cash is that those assholes need a script, so they need to be able to read something. So this is going on in his head while the person across from him is going, but you know what, I'm going to... And then he's like, yeah, but i'm not going to give you my money man i'm not going to give you the money for my company because you know it's not guaranteed that i can fucking sell this thing but i can't tell this guy that it's not guaranteed that i can sell this thing i'm just going to tell him that this is a great partnership and we should be excited to do this together right and i'm excited about rights meanwhile go let's swap sides we go over to the writer and the writer's sitting there going like can he fucking sell this thing is it is it like, if we write it with this character, is it going to sell? Do I have to change everything? Do I have to change the gender of the characters? Like, what? All that's going through their head, right? At the same time, this is the negotiation that happens back and forth. You go back into the producer or the executive's head and they go, this is such a pain in my ass. Wouldn't it be great if I could just, they should just write a program where I don't have to deal with this. There's some foreshadowing for you. Okay. Okay. So let's see. Let's go back into how long can the strike last? The longest strike on record was in 1988, and it lasted 153 days, followed by 1960 strike, which lasted 146 days, and then the 2007-2008 strike that lasted 100 days. There seems to be even more support for the strike this time around. Um, when you start running numbers like that, that starts to be people's rent, right? So that starts to be the income that people are trying to make to survive. And there, I feel like for those of you who don't work in the movie business, I feel like from the outside, looking in, the only people that you guys really hear about are the people that are making a lot of money, right? Are the people that are incredibly successful, are the outliers, right? You hear about Matt Damon and Ben Affleck when they win the Academy Award. You sure shit don't hear about uh, the 10, 12 years that it took them to get to that place. And you don't also hear about how much money they made and how much money they ended up with by the time they were finished with that whole ordeal. You don't hear about that stuff. We love Cinderella stories. We love, you know, the underdog getting to the top That's where we like the stories to end, right? Everybody on the team lifts the guy up, he holds the trophy, credits roll. That's where the audience likes to stop at things. Although I would say with a lot of this television writing now, we like to go a little bit deeper. Maybe that was the, I mean, that was the general appeal with me with The Walking Dead was it went further into that and gave you the repercussions of all that. But the truth of it is most Most, I would say a majority of the people that write movies, the people that work in our industry make nothing. We work for free consistently. I have been working my ass off for the past two years, hard labor, and I think I've been paid for about 5% of it, 5%. I mean, I get up every, dude, I'm up at today, 8 fucking 30 to talk in this microphone for free today, Okay. So that's the world. That's the reality. And why do we do it? Because we're fucking batshit crazy. Because we're addicted to the discovery. We're addicted to finding great ideas. We're addicted to working with people and collaborating with people. Some of us are addicted to fame. Some of us are addicted to, you know, trying to prove themselves to their dad who never really liked them when they were growing up. There's all sorts of reasons. But the point that I'm trying to make here is, is that most of us go month to month. And I've talked about this on the show, in order to stay okay and sane, try to stack enough cash in front of you so that you can go five months without worrying about rent, six months without worrying about rent. I mean, that's, that's, that's good stuff, right? In our industry. These folks who may be in that position, you start pushing 100 days, 153 days, you've got maybe enough for next month's rent. Maybe you don't have any money for rent you're going to see a big uptick in people driving ubers, I'll tell you that. That's going to be the next move because you can't work when there's a strike, you can't work. The strike doesn't the strike doesn't happen. The strike isn't effective if people are working. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's going to get hard so when you start to read these numbers it gets scary. Now, not only is this scary for the writers, but eventually this becomes scary for all of the other uh industries that support filmmaking right things start to slow down suddenly i'm not directing as much here's the fucking the the hole that i find myself in i just finished a new movie that i want to go out and i want to pitch and i want to make it into something great right i (laughs) i didn't make it in time so my shit was ready to go out Five, six days before the writer strike, and I was advised. They said, dude, do you not send it out at this point. And it's like, God damn it. So all the work that I did now is on hold. Story of my fucking life. Timing. Story of my life. So now it's on hold. And according to my guys, potentially on hold until August. August. And that means that I can't go out and get people excited. And start the long journey of pitching an idea and getting an idea approved until August. So the ramifications are are affecting me. The ramifications are then affecting everybody that works for me and under me, right? Because I can't give fucking work, so I can't give you work. You see how the game plays? So the strike is is dangerous. And you gotta do it, but it's dangerous. Okay, so bu- bu- boom, bu- bu- boom. I'm fast forwarding here through this. Uh, whoa, I want to get into. Oh goddammit, it! This article really didn't start to pull it all apart for me. Here we go. Economic impact. Um, so what it seems like is happening here is that they're fighting um, to get compensated and to make sure that the writer's positions stay um, not necessarily salary based, but the income on those positions um, will help support a career. You know what I mean? When you start going freelance, then you're in this game that us freelancers are in, right? Where triple bidding, this guy will do it cheaper. You're only on a day to day basis. And then when you are on, you are expected to do nothing else but that. So you're stuck in that thing. Um, and um, it just is a fucking nightmare, right? Because how do you how do you get ahead? How do you push beyond just being stuck in that position? It's it's just insanity. It's insanity. Um, but but, 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 Everybody's doing the same articles here. I'm trying to look for one. Oh, my God. No one wants to actually break it down. Well, here's what else. Here's the other stuff that I've heard on this. So they're fighting <clears throat> to make sure there's a minimum staffing for certain TV writers rooms, which is kind of hard. It's I get the pushback on that, where you have a union telling you exactly what you're supposed to have and how many people you're supposed to have in there. Um, they're fighting to get uh, adequately paid for their stuff. There is the residual game, which is a very sticky and complicated game because um, it's not the same as theatrical, right? You do a theatrical run. You can have opening weekend statistics. You know how much money has directly come in based upon that film alone. Um, And so many of these places are working for streaming services and some streaming services, most streaming services, that don't want to release their numbers, right? They don't want to actually tell you what the numbers are. And then, you know, they're making their money on subscription-based stuff. So how do you quantify? I'm not sure of this. And if someone else knows this, come on the show and we'll talk about it. But how do you actually quantify, you know, how much money goes to the creators of, you know, let's say, what was the big one? The the Adams family one there that they just did. Did that bring in more subscribers? Were there more eyes on that episode or that show than any other show? Like, how do you quantify it? Like, how does it become a residuals game? That's difficult. And when you're in a business right now that's asking you to come in, do more work for free in the front end, do discounted work As you go through it, stay attached to a show for the full run. Don't go work on any of the shows, but we're not going to pay you for the full run. You're just going to get paid for the days that you're in the writer's room. We're going to offer a discounted rate to people to come in to brainstorm and think tank these things. Um, But uh, then at the back end, you're not going to get anything out of it. You've just been doing, you've been helping us advance our shit without getting anything. I get it, man. I totally fucking get it. So here's the other thing that uh, I want to talk about is (laughs) one of their fights is with AI. Now, this is a big deal. This is going to be a big deal for a lot of different places, a lot of different folks. Um, And you've seen, you've heard rumblings of this. I'm sure you've seen memes of this. Uh, what is it? Chat GPT is that what that is? And then uh, Midjourney for the arts. Um, there are all sorts of different AIs that are being promoted and pushed as replacements for human work. And this is this is going to become a big deal. It's so weird saying this stuff into a microphone because I feel like I'm in a James Cameron movie. I feel like I'm in uh, some sort of like Isaac Asimov book I mean it's, it's it, you ever ask yourself that question is this what our future always was or is our future influenced by the imagination of sci-fi writers right would we have cell phones without Star Trek right? Would we have had flip phones without Kirk like pulling one off his belt and Beep, you know and just speaking into it would that have come to us naturally or is that influenced by the imagination of one of the sci-fi writers? It's weird right and so will i be here's the big question of the hour will i be on a playground gripping a chain link fence as a nuclear blast tears the skin off my body leaving a skeleton which will then explode will that happen (laughs) because of terminator 2 (laughs) and i laugh about it but it's everybody's fucking nightmare there is this unspoken sort of fear that is running not just in our industry but in so many industries you know like uh, ai is after the legal industry right there's uh there's artificial intelligence program out there where you can turn to for legal advice which call me cynical but is that not dangerous and everybody's like well why is that dangerous michael well no 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 okay so it's not the program that's dangerous It's not the tool. It's an interesting tool. It's a really great tool. It's the motivation behind the tool. It's the ultimate motivation behind the tool. Ask yourself about social media before you start to become a naysayer, right? Initially, everybody's like, social media, what a great idea. I can actually stay in touch with all my old high school buds, right? We can communicate online. There's a centralized place that we can go and chat. I could share pictures. We can reminisce. Ah, what are we gonna call it? Facebook. Oh, what a great fucking place, right? Then in Facebook, there hit this period of time where suddenly the trend on Facebook was: hey, check out this really fun poll. I've got nothing to do with my time. I'm gonna sit here and answer a bunch of different questions. What's my favorite movie? What's my favorite flavor of ice cream? What do I like? What do I do? Cool. At the end of the poll it says, "Hey, here's a fun challenge for you and your friends that you haven't seen in a while to stay engaged with each other. Why don't you share this poll around? Send it around and see if your answers are similar." Okay, cool. What a really clever fun thing. I can't believe that this website doesn't charge us anything to do this. This is so great of them. What what a aspiring What a great company this is. Mm -hmm. So then you pass these fucking polls around. And so then these polls become bully polls, right? Do you guys even remember this shit where people like, you're not taking a poll, go fuck yourself. Like that was a big deal. That was the sales pitch. So they have us running around like quick little uh, worker bees answering a bunch of questions. Now, at that time, you go, well, what's the harm? They know what kind of ice cream I like. They know what kind of movies I like. How's this going to affect me? right no big deal then you start to see subtle things change like suddenly all the banner ads on your page are now representative of what you did in that poll so like wow they're gonna remake Goonies that's cool you know what I mean she's so starting to see that oh Hagen Why stop, stop with the fucking Hagen Dust. I'm trying to lose weight man why you keep hitting me with these Hagen Dust fucking ads I don't know maybe that has something to do with the poll that's small, right? So then you start to get into a game where you're starting to see all that information that you put down, all the things that you like, all the images that you tag. Tag yourself in all these different photos. There's a big thing. Tag yourself. If you see yourself in someone else's photo, make sure to tag it. Tag, 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 tag. So then you're doing all that work, right? So then you continue. You, <laughs> you continue on. Let's say that you're making content now. Let's say that you're submitting content. Maybe you're uh, building a website. Well, Google isn't going to register your website on any of its searches or at least the first five pages, which most people have a short attention span, so they're never going to fucking find you unless you're dialing in your SEO tags, unless you're dialing in your descriptors the correct way. So describe everything the correct way. Now, as we fast forward to currently into the current environment of AI, it starts to make sense, right? Because you need to understand how a lot of the AI algorithms work. And there there are many of you that don't. Some of you have seen some of the articles that are put out uh, by, (laughs) it's so ridiculous that they do it, by these different magazine sources, right? They may put out like, this is what it looks like when you mash Ghostbusters with Dune. What if you know, Jaredowski, you know, directed, you know, Lethal Weapon, you know what I mean? And so you start to get this mashup, which feels nostalgic, and you look at it, and it feels nostalgic, and it's creepy, and it's weird, because the figures are strange, and the lighting is very dynamic, and you go, this is magical, this is magic, how are they fucking doing this? And then you hear rumblings about these programs, like Midjourney, and there's a few other ones that exist out there, And you're like, these are magic programs. Can I just type something in and uh, it just creates them? Where does it create them from? Basically, and if someone knows more about AI, here's a disclaimer and you think I'm bullshit, write to me and I'll have you on the show and we'll talk about it. But from my understanding, uh, the way it works is it's just an advanced search engine. Okay? Okay. Now it does a lot of really cool magical shit, like uh, how it takes these I- these items that it finds and blends them and how it uh, takes these ones and zeros and, and forms these aesthetically pleasing images and often crazy images. And the mistakes that come from this program kind of learning its stuff trigger imagination for us and i I mean i've used it before for that reason i'm like what is this weird fucking thing that it's coming up with and then that triggers something in my mind to go further but essentially what these programs do what mid journey does is you have to type in a prompt right you go on to it you go there you type in a prompt which is like backslash imagine shows up and then it goes okay write out what you want right you go okay imagine you know uh ghostbusters uh was directed by david lynch um search right and so then it'll just hunt it'll it'll f- search for those keywords ghostbusters and then it'll probably break away and search for well what is the aesthetic of ghostbusters what is the, what does it look like what did the outfits look like what do the costumes look like what do the fabrics look like associated with it um you know what is the body positioning on all the press photos what is the body positioning on all the screen caps that have been labeled ghostbusters you know like all that information it's pulling that together and it's like okay here comes the ghostbusters ingredient from all of that stuff and then david lynch now it's sorting through david lynch i'm sure it's smart enough to realize that there are a bunch of other people called david lynch out there one of my buddies used to be called david lynch so it's like all right well fuck all those people it's a regular name Let's go after the top searched thing, which is this crazy guy with hair and has all this stuff. And what's he usually doing? Smoking cigarettes. Ah, oh, that's cool. And the cigarettes are also smoked in Ghostbusters. That's interesting. Right? And then so then it brings all that information and then puts it into this the soup blender, right? Which when you think about it, all it's doing is taking the ones and zeros that create all these images and meshing them together. Correct? So it sits there and starts to blend them. And so you get your first round of images that come through. And often they're weird as fuck, often, right? And you go, well, what the fuck is this? That doesn't look like, why does he look strange? And is that a person? That's not a person. Is that a doorway? At least in the early versions of MidJourney, the new version, they have like built into the algorithm. They have it just doing, you know, aesthetically pleasing things on the first search. But here's an example, go to my Instagram right now. I'll post the second set of them today after I record this. Go to my Instagram now and check out my latest post. I went on mid-journey and it's a very difficult program for creators right? that have a specific thing that they want to do because the program isn't that smart yet. It will be, but it's not that smart yet. So like if you have something specific in your mind and you want this program to help you create it, it doesn't do that. What it does is it takes random searches and creates a karaoke mix of images that surprise you. So, I mean, that's the value of that tool right now. If you're trying to create some sort of like nightmare sequence, if you're trying to figure out uh, a look for some sort of inspiration from something strange it's a great tool for that it's a fucking tool it's like a shovel it's a great tool for that right um but if you're specifically trying to get something out of it i wanted it i wanted to use it to create specific key art for this idea that i'm working on right now this new idea that i'm working on and so i would start to type in these sentences that were like hey Would be great if this guy was reaching for a chainsaw and then turned and got into a fight with this guy. And so being a story writer, you write out these ideas. And then being a cinematographer and a photographer, you could put things in like, uh, I want this frame shot with like an 85 millimeter lens. I want shallow focus. It'd be great if there were volumetrics, et cetera, et cetera. So you put in all these descriptors, right? Now, what this AI goes is like, well... How many, how many pictures were shot with an 85-millimeter lens? That's easier for it because most cameras right now have metadata tags. So all it has to do is search through all the metadata tags that it could find on the internet that say 85-millimeter lens. It's all the way down to the point where in the coding of it, you can put you know, the iris or the aperture setting that you have for it, and it'll hunt for those things as well because it's all in the metadata that comes from this gear. <laughs> fucking crazy, right? When you see how all this stuff is coming to play. So I did this thing. Go on my Instagram and check it out. All I did, because I was getting, I wasn't getting the images I wanted. And so I was trying to find a base level to start, right? Can this fucking thing just make something simple? So I said, imagine a chainsaw. That's all I did. Go look at the results. <laughs> they're weird. They're pretty, right? And they're only pretty because I had uh, well, no, actually I didn't put those descriptors in there. It's, it's funny how now with this new version of it, I feel like it's, it knows it's learned what most people are looking for. As far as visuals are concerned, extreme sharp images, high contrast images, very saturated colors. So I feel like that's sort of like a baked in starter algorithm to keep you enthralled with it. So go look at the fucking chainsaws it made. Surreal wild to see how this artificial intelligence combined the ones and zeros from thousands and thousands of search results that it found, you know, how it (laughs) really didn't make a chainsaw at all, but it is reminiscent of a chainsaw because it was like, well, chainsaws are usually orange based upon our search. They're usually orange. And there's usually a logo here. And then there's, uh, they're usually cutting into wood. (laughs) Wait till you see the wood shit. Go to my Instagram right now while you're listening. Uh it's weird man. And even though it's strange and it triggers a lot in your imagination as a creator, it fucking failed. It failed at its task, which was like, hey, just give me an image of a chainsaw. Okay? So will it get better? Yes, it gets better exponentially every day. The more people that use it, the more it learns from you, the more it understands, hey, this is what the culture is looking for right now. This is Most majority of people, when they type in chainsaw, this is what they want. So this is what we'll start with. It just gets smarter and smarter as you go. Is there some sort of like red-eyed, you know, strangely with bone teeth robot man sitting behind a computer somewhere going, I'm learning and I will soon put you on that chain link fence and explode a nuclear weapon. Is that happening? No, no, it's just, it's a fucking algorithm, right? it's a tool. It's a tool. And right now what that tool does is it takes a mix of everything that exists. It goes out there and it has to, it can only find things that exist, right? So if you're like, hey, I want to shoot a car chase sequence, anything you get out of this guy or this guy, this AI is going to be based upon all the other car chase sequences that exist out there. Now, the naysayers or or the opposite opinion may say, isn't that what we do as people, as creators, as writers, because this brings me back to writing, isn't that what we do as writers? Yes and no. And the difference between a great writer and a writer that doesn't have any inspiration is all about what they're pulling from. If you're someone that sits down and says, hey, I want to make an action movie, I'm going to go watch all the action movies out there and then write a formula based upon those action movies that exist, what you're getting is what happens in Hollywood a lot of the time, which is just lazy filmmaking that is based upon returns. It's based upon profit, right? John Wick, even though it was so fucking hard for them to get John Wick made and even more hard for them to get John Wick uh, distributed, now it's a formula, right? Now Hollywood looks at it. And when I say Hollywood, we, we use this term Hollywood. Let's be more specific. Now folks that want to make fast cash in our business will look at that and say, well, our audience has an appetite for this right now. The audience likes this kind of action. The audience likes... There's stuff to look this vibrant and this colorful. The audience likes this plot structure. This audience likes three-act plot structures. Like, it's what Hollywood does. And by Hollywood, once again, it's the producers in Hollywood. And by the producers in Hollywood, I mean the people that have to cater towards the studios in Hollywood. And by the studios in Hollywood, I mean the people that are catering towards the boards that are running these companies, that are often publicly traded companies, and then it's the people that have invested in that that ultimately want return on their investment. That's all they fucking want, right? So the big fight, one of the big fights, and I support this fight, is uh, the writers are trying to restrict the use of AI when developing ideas, restrict the use of AI when it comes to creating shows, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there are many of you out there who have been using AI as artists. I have used it a few times to develop my ideas and to figure things out that are like, well, this is kind of bullshit. You guys are naysaying a tool. Let's take a hot second here and talk about AI as a tool. For us as creators, for us as imaginative people, let me ask you this question. Why do you tell stories? Do you tell stories, are you compelled to work for free for years, 10 to 12 years out of your life? Are you compelled to lose relationships? Are you compelled to get into fights with your wife all the time because you have been up all night and it's your turn to, you know, change the diaper on the kid and you're exhausted and you're trying to just finish out the final pages of your script? Is that you? Are you doing all that stuff specifically for profits? Is that what you're doing? Or are you compelled to tell a story? Now, here's the next question. Where does that need come from? I would argue that that need most likely comes from an experience that you had, right? Maybe, just maybe, you were picked on as a kid in high school all the time, and you want to tell a story of what it's like to be the underdog, what it's like to be the kid that's been picked on all the time. Maybe just maybe you're someone that slipped and fell on the ice and cracked his fucking skull and went through an insane trippy fucking process of like losing control of your inner voice and dealing with like, uh, Concussions and and vertigo every day, and the the fear, like being in a car and being driven to the hospital for an hour and a half because you sneezed and you think it triggered the bleeding in your brain again. And that ride to the hospital is you reflecting on your life and looking around at your girlfriend and your mom who is trying to put a smile on while they think that you're potentially going to die in the car. Maybe that was a very interesting, maybe traumatizing, very inspiring moment that happened in your life. Right. And because of that, maybe just maybe you changed your perspective on things. You started to see things a little bit differently. And you felt this sense of like euphoria, maybe, or maybe you that dopamine rush was just fucking raw and felt really great. And you say to yourself, other people might like to hear this story. Other people might learn something, be inspired by this story. See my point here? Most of the time, I would say, majority of the time if you're a creator you're trying to tell stories on experiences that you've had in your life on experiences that you've heard from other people things that you found inspiring that's what stories are about right each and every one of us comes into this world and at some point in time we realize that we have no control over the fact that we're no longer going to be here and we can't dial it in there's no schedule for when it's going to happen you know, someone's gonna get hit by a car, someone's gonna drop dead from a fucking heart attack. We have no idea. And that's fucking scary, man. That's a scary fucking thing to process. And so, how do we process that thing? We turn to ourselves, to each other for comfort. You know, I'm feeling, I've got this itch and I've got this rash. Have you ever had a rash like this? Is this gonna rot through my fucking skin? And is my leg gonna fall off? No, no, no. It's just this little thing. I've had this thing before thank you for your story. Your story has settled my nerves and I've learned from your story and I might actually adjust and tweak that. And then, Hey, guess what? The rush no longer exists anymore. Right? Isn't that what storytelling is about? I feel this thing in my chest. I feel anytime I'm around this girl, I feel this anxiety. I feel this, this urgency and need you know, what is this thing? It's called love, kid. Oh, how do I process it? Well, it's a fucking crazy fucking thing because here's what sucks about love. You may feel it, but they don't. Oh my God, how do I process that? Let me tell you a story, right? Isn't that what we're doing? Okay. So most creators out there are telling stories that are current that are relevant that are things that have happened to them currently that's most stuff so when you hear notes from money people that are like this just doesn't what is the reason for making this like why is this relevant now and why is this because i just felt it asshole (laughs) and if i felt it then someone else felt it now you hear my tone and my demeanor this is something that I guarantee you that the money people don't want to deal with. They don't want to deal with this, right? Because there's insert there's uncertainty in creativity. You have no idea what's going to hit. You have zero idea what's going to be successful. Um, a great creative idea, in my opinion, is marketedly in is marketed incorrectly. And so it fucking fails. It's a great movie. It's a great idea. I can go on tangents on like all the really great movies that everybody has on the top list right now that when they first came out, they failed because they weren't marketed correctly, because they were brought out in a climate that wasn't ready for them. There's all sorts of different things. So as a money person, it's dangerous. It is dangerous to, um, you know, invest in creativity. And if you're doing creativity right, And this is something that I've learned as a director. If you're doing it right, it is unstable. You can do as much prep and you should. Do as much prep as you possibly can. Write out ideas, storyboard things, uh, do your director's breakdown, come up with questions for your actors, like figure out all those important details and tools that we've talked about on episodes of the show. That's massively important. But then you have to throw it all away. And then you go into this unpredictable slosh of what we call life turns out that my location's wrong. It turns out that the actor doesn't get it. And it, like, how do I, what, what tangent do we go off on? And we got to find something real. We have to find something honest. We have to find the film, right? I just saw a behind the scenes on the making of the Batman. Uh, Matt Reeves, I think was a guy that directed that. Yeah, it's Matt. And uh, he was talking about how they shot. The first scene that they shot was when the Batman shows up to the crime scene with all the cops looking at him, and he sort of walks in this room. And the director sits there and goes, I, this took me the longest amount of time to figure it out. Like, I had to figure out what the tone for this scene was. I had to figure out how Batman feels in this movie. And yeah, they had done all their prep. They had figured out their costumes. They did some really cool stuff, by the way. I watched that movie again last night. Did some really cool stuff with the cowl and shaping it like a skull and all the all sorts of really fun things that they did in that movie. And that's in the prep. But how does he move in this scene? How does he walk in this scene? How does he interact with all these other people? How do all of these prep ideas sort of collide with each other? And then if you aren't fluid, it's going to feel forced. It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel stagnant. But fluidity is dangerous to money people, right? Because now you're falling off the plan. Now you're going in a different direction. Now it's. This could be a, become a fucking nightmare. What is this, apocalypse now all of a sudden? How, how long are we going to be out here shooting? How are we going to be doing this? I was talking to a producer about doing something specific, and apparently they had worked on, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get too specific, but they had worked on a Tony Scott movie. And the guy had said to me, when you work with us, you're going to be incredibly planned, and we're going to agree in contract to everything being shot the way that you have planned it. Because we had done something with the late, great Tony Scott before, and we went so much money over budget on this thing. And I go, yeah, but the movie was great, though. And you made money on the movie. Yeah, you didn't make the kind of money you thought you were going to make, though. But you made money on the movie, and it was great. It was a good movie. You know? So I'm, I'm all over the place here. I'm jumping up and down, specifically to try to put the pieces together for you the understanding of how ai works, the understanding of how ai is a great tool, it's a tool though. Just like a color cre- uh, just like photoshop is a tool, just like premiere is a tool. It's a fucking tool. But the dangerous part about ai is how it can be used as a tool to make the rich richer. Right? So that's essentially something you should think about because with this tool, which is specifically built to go through all of those polls, to go through all of those metadata, all that metadata that exists, to find what gets clicked on the most, to find what triggers people the most at the middle of the night, to find what um, is the best merchandising ideas, right? Suddenly you've got Baby Yoda showing back up again. In the next season right you you know that this is the motivation for these companies because they make so much money on merchandising they make so much money on this stuff and this is the kind of money that we're never in on like george lucas back in the day was genius because they really hadn't wrapped their heads around as companies around merchandising and around toys and so he was like i'm gonna retain the rights to all that shit You and I know this. So do all these people that are in these companies now know this. You're never involved with merch, (laughs) even though you're the one designing the merch. (laughs) So my point is, as of now, when you are writing something, if I'm in a meeting with folks in a room, they have to sort of listen to me because I'm the guy with the creative ideas. They have to sort of listen to me and go, all right, well he's got a vision. We kind of at some point they have to believe in my vision enough to go, yeah, he's got it. He's got it. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Right? And what that does is that puts me in a good place, right? I'm kind of like the guard or the the last crusade knight of the the motivation behind the idea. Why am I doing it, right? I, I, I'm still the guard of this is why the public's going to like it so much. This is the truest intention of what this thing is. I, I could still be that guard. And sometimes you have to be clever and say that, yeah, I'll do what you need me to do, but you're still peppering it in there. It's still in there. Uh, there's a really great essay on the on the last Matrix movie, by the way, video essay on, uh, on Instagram. I think you should look it up. Uh, the Meaning of the Matrix 4. And when I first watched The Matrix 4, I was like, man, this movie is terrible. But after watching that essay, the amount of stuff that they crammed in there, it's very clever, very clever. The filmmaker, Lana, uh, uh, crammed into that. You should go check that out. Uh, But so we're the sort of last stands when it comes to the last stand when it comes to the original idea, right? Imagine that that doesn't exist. Imagine that there is a tool that's out there for somebody and I'm not saying everybody's like this, but there are people like this for somebody that's like, hey man, I want to make a lot of money like my buddy did and he made an ass load of money on on uh, this movie. and so I don't want to deal with having to pay residuals. I don't want to have to deal with the craziness of an artist. Uh, they're, they're kind of batshit. they' they're like they're always complaining uh you know I don't want to deal with that stuff. So here's, here's what I'd like to have happen. I'd like there, wouldn't it be great if there was an algorithm that existed where I could just sit there and go, hey, because I'm a very imaginative person, this is me being a dick, I'm a very imaginative person, so what if we took Transformers, and bear with me now, because the reason I'm choosing this movie is because it made a lot of fucking money, right? And we got all the residuals through the toy line and all that stuff so what if we took transformers and combined it with john wick and then when i grew up you know i was a big fan of like Beastmaster, right and i know that one doesn't do well but we'll combine it with everything else let's see what it does let's see what it does write me a log line write me a story about that right and so then the algorithm will go okay boom It'll run through everything, figure it out. Like, this is what everybody liked about Transformers. This was su- successful about Transformers. And they can be even more specific about it. Successfully, which one had the most, you know, residuals and blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh, like, what toy line was the most successful? And like, what was the age bracket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Boop, 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 boop. And then it will take a hodgepodge of all that stuff. It'll put you together. It'll start to build That cheeseburger stuffed with cheese with a fucking lobster tail on top and like a hollandaise sauce on top of that and a brioche bun that's buttered on both sides, right? So now it's making you this thing, which is built from everything else that triggered you as a consumer, as the person that's eating this thing. Each and every bit of that dopamine rush and hit that you're going to get. You're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay, great. So what do I got now? Oh, shit. They did an AI version of like, of uh you know bill murray is playing uh dr venkman in a fucking transformers movie holy shit right right so then that's and then they didn't have to have any reason other than why they did it which is i want to make the money do you guys because this exists right now it does exist right now there's a lot of big blockbusters to do this And what they do, what they have to do is they have to find hungry writers. (laughs) Poor hungry writers that have all these really great script ideas, really great stories, talented people that have written really amazing things. And the big boys say to them, we like this little one, but you got to do something for us first, right? One for us, one for you, one for us, one for you, right? Right? So this is what's existed in Hollywood. So then you go, all right, well, I I can't make rent this month. Can you get me on that fucking writing room? I know it's against all my principles, but get me in that writing room, please. Because I need to make fucking rent, man. I get alimony checks. I got to fucking pay. God damn it. Can you please just, all right, let's go pitch on this new fucking Bumblebee Transformers movie. Okay, let's go do that because I'm going to make some money. All right, I got to make some money. That's how it has existed so far. And so then you have writer's rooms where the execs will come in or the people will come in and go, we want to make money. <laughs> so here's, instead of being able to do it just to an algorithm, they hand it to a room full of, of writers and they go, here's the ideas that we need to make money. So go with it. And the and you can see audibly in that space, they all go, oh, right? That sigh, that sigh. I mean, Jesus Christ. If you had AI and and the people that were doing this didn't have to hear that sigh, that would be the 100 reasons why they would, that's the main reason why they would jump ship and go to AI. Uh, Right? And so then they sit there and the writers all get together and they go, okay, all right, let's take their fucking notes and let's try to make this into something good. And then in order to maintain your integrity, your soul, right, you're in that space and you're going, These guys don't know what they're talking about. Okay, all right. I kind of know what they mean. All right, so let's make sure that we create a creature that can do an action figure. But like, there needs to be some sort of grounding here. There needs to be some sort of emotional connection here. And I just experienced this thing with my kid. My kid did this weird thing, and and then someone else in the room goes, Yeah, 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 yeah. I did that when I was a kid. And someone else goes, Yeah, that's interesting okay, so this is relatable now, this has become something relatable, and I was so inspired by what my child did, and it, it changed my life, and so now I'm becoming, okay, I've, I've, I found a reason to become emotionally connected to this thing that I now need to write, right, which is this, you know, new fucking, I keep saying Transformers because it's the easiest thing, this new Transformers thing, right, so boom, okay, I'm connected, all right, all right, so then they all sit there and they they get excited, you know, they still got to write all that other bullshit, right? Which is going to make them the money. But they, there's this little key point in here that really excites them. It's the thing. And then they write up a draft and they hand the draft in and the, and, and the money people look at and they go, okay, all right, all right. I asked for that action figure guy. He's in here. He, this guy's in here. What's all this bullshit about this kid? And then the whole room goes, oh, why are we spending so much time with this kid here? This is like valuable time on screen. What if we get, what if the Transformers have to take a break and they go to uh, this burger place? What if they go to an In-N-Out burger place? Why are they going to an In-N-Out burger place? They're machines. They don't eat burgers. Uh, that's What about the kid in the car? That's he'll, he'll eat the burger. Why do you give a shit about the burger place? Uh, because they want to get in the movie business. Right? So now as an audience, as someone that doesn't work in this business, you all are just consuming these things, right? And you have your ability to leave your reviews wherever you want to leave your reviews, whether it's on, you know, Rotten Tomatoes or whatever the fuck it is, right? And so you now have the ability to go, ah, what a piece of shit this movie was. You know, I went and I saw it. (laughs) I was first in line to go see this fucking thing. I watched the whole thing, and now I'm going to try to make money on my own numbers by talking about what a piece of shit this is. So I'm going to try to get my algorithm hot, right? And get some uh, residuals on, on that kind of stuff. But Hollywood just doesn't come up with any good new ideas. Look at this trash. Well, you all went and see it, right? You all fucking subscribe to that goddamn channel that just makes that shit consistently over and over and over and over and over, and over again. That's what they fucking do, Right? Look at your fucking feeds. Look at—I'm getting mad. Look at your feeds. Right, your feed is all the same shit. Oh, turns out you like fucking house flipping uh, shows. Look at all these fucking house flipping shows. Oh, the variety here is—is is it's not just a house flipping show, but it's also a house flipping baking slash fashion show. Cool. I'll watch that too. Great. Oh, you like the Kardashians? Here's all this other bullshit. Oh, cool. Great. Right. Look at the difference sign into your queue, sign into your girlfriend's queue. Look at the difference. It's insanity. It's insane. So if you don't like movies right now, if you think that they're so reductive, if you feel like that they're just unoriginal, don't support AI created movies because that in its essence is everything that it's going to be. And yes, there will be fucking artists out there that do amazing things with that tech. They will use that tech to transform their own artwork into something amazing. Let me say this right now. While I was trying to find motivations for my new idea for myself, I'm not selling this yet. This is for myself, just for me to trigger new ideas and interesting ways of putting my things together. I was trying to create key art. One of the things on Midjourney that you do if you're trying to create a tone is you literally will write in the style of this artist, directed or filmed by this artist, right? And then what AI will do will hunt that artist down and go, okay, here's the lighting they like, here are the wardrobes they like, here's the cutting style they like, here's everything they like, boom, boom right? And so that's why when you see these things like David Lynch directs fucking fifth element, it looks like David Lynch because it's just pulled from all these different images that exist out there, elements of it. And here's what's crazy. I was in mid-journey and I was trying to create the sequence. And I don't want to give too much away because I don't want to ruin this idea. But I was trying to create the sequence and out of curiosity, I was like, what if the sequence was done by... David Fincher. So I wrote in David Fincher and a lot of stuff like very low key lighting, very dark lighting. His framing was very specific. And I was like, weird, it's not David Fincher, but it feels like David Fincher because the algorithm grabbed all these different things. All right, what if it was from John Carpenter? What if it was from such and such? And you'd see that start to shift a little bit, right? And it it it's not by any means perfect and it's not by any means by John, John Carpenter. It just smells like it right? When you're looking at it, you're like, oh, weird. What is this? What's well, fucking wild <laughs> is the stuff I like the most. This is fucking, this is a mind fuck. The stuff I like the most is when I wrote in the algorithm a film by Mike Petchy. <laughs> That's the shit I like the most because it went through and it found all my work, found all my things. and It started to put those pieces together and I went, you no know, shit i would use an outfit like that that's fucking scary by the way but as an artist that's a great tool for me for myself because i'm sitting there going all right this it's like having uh what's his name what was the uh, ai's name in iron man oh my god it just went right out of my head jarvis so it's like having your own jarvis right that's what you want from an ai you want to be tony stark you want to be in your workshop as an artist as a guy building cars and fucking jetpacks and shit and you want to have this AI and go, Jarvis, you know my shit, Uh, help me out here. I'm having a slow day. Can you just, how would I light this sequence normally? Traditionally, how would I light this sequence? And Jarvis goes, well, Michael, you would use a light like this. It would be this color profile. You would have this level of haze. You would have this amount of texture in the background. You'd have this and this and this. And you go, yes, exactly, Jarvis. And then I'd be a dick to him and go, I'm not going to do any of that, Jarvis. And he goes, well, technically that's what you would normally do. Yeah, but I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to fuck with your algorithm, Jarvis. And he goes, well, I've already figured that out because it's a Tuesday and you get angry and cranky on a Tuesday and so now you're going to be fighting against me. So I already know. (laughs) (laughs) Going crazy here, guys. You know? It's crazy, right? It's nuts. So... (laughs) <laughs> this is tangent laden episode. You know, there's AI out there that uh I don't know if you guys have heard the podcasts that are done with AI where they write all new podcasts. This is also saturating itself into the music industry. This is a big deal. You know, you have, uh, you know, artists that are known for their voice, known for how they sing things, known for how they do things. Artists that are very selective on what gets put out, right? Whether or not the compositions are the way that they're supposed to be, whether or not they're saying things that they believe in. All these things are very important when it comes to being a musician. Um, And then you have AI out there that some rando can just go, what if Jay-Z sang the Beatles? Or what if, you know, this person says this? this I mean, we're we're sort of getting away from the writer's strike here, and we're talking about AI in general. It's, At this point, how do you validate, like, where is the certification on anything you see or hear, right? How do we know that the president said that? How do we know that there is actually an epidemic right now, right? There's this whole thing that is being sent all over the internet and we sure as shit don't give a fuck about validating our news sources anymore, so there's this meme that's floating all over the place, which majority of the public says, sees and takes as the Bible, even if they know it's not, but it still gets put into the consciousness of the planet that says that, uh, you know, there are aliens that live in Kansas. And why does it say that? Because the smartest people on the planet, I saw them on this clip. And they all say that it's been confirmed that aliens live on this fucking, in Kansas. You know? It's a real deal, man. It's a real deal. So this part of the writer's strike, dealing with the AI stuff, is is important. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how you're going to tell, I don't know how you're going to tell somebody Or an entity or a company that sees an opportunity to make more money faster, more efficiently, with less headache and less investment, not to use that fucking tool. I don't know how that's going to work. I just don't. And the problem is that uh, that's in our fucking DNA, right? This is the the culture. It's the American dream, bro. Make as much money as you can. Is $360 million enough money for you? Well, no, I'm generational wealth, bro. Like, I want my family's family family to be okay. You know what I mean? Fuck you, dude. Yeah. Right? Do you guys feel the same way? And here's the thing. My personal opinion is this. At the end of the day, the only thing that will change the thought process of any company is if they don't make money on it. So the only way to maintain human interaction with how these things are built and constructed and how these stories are told is by going after the audience, you, the listener, making sure that you're aware of what's happening here. If a movie is made by AI, if it's designed by AI, you have to ask yourself, who is the person typing in those prompts? Then you have to ask yourself, What is the motivation for them to type in those prompts? What do they expect from those prompts? What are they going to use those prompts for? How is it going to affect me? How is it going to affect us? Right? Is there somebody in that room between them and the prompt that is keeping all of us in mind that is actually, Keeping what we love about the art in mind. I mean, and look, if you watch movies because you like to see people make money, I don't think you'd have a problem with it, right? If that was the reason why you went to the movies, is because you like to see rich people make more money, you're good to go. If you go to the movies because you want to see yourself represented, if you go to the movies because you're trying to figure out why something's going on in the world, If you go to the movies um, because you want to escape and you want to feel a sense of adventure and you want to feel, you want to identify with that character and what they're going through, what their plight is, I would say that you probably don't want movies written by AI. You know? And more importantly, not just AI, I would think that you would want movies that are written by storytellers. Now, if those storytellers are using AI as a tool, good to go. But motivation, man, motivation, the reasons behind it are everything. And I fully support this fight through the writer's union, through the writer's strike. I fully support this. And I think this is going to be an issue across industries. I think this is just the beginning for this. And I think it's just important I'm going to be drilling this home every time I do a show. Get your stories, get your stuff from somebody else, from a human being. Don't just get your information regurgitated through an algorithm. History is an important thing. We should learn from history. We, we always have trouble learning from the stuff that our grandparents did. No one likes to hear about what happened before. It's not going to happen to me. I know you're dying. I'm not going to die yet. You know what I mean? That's a big thing. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't understand history. I'm not saying that you can't use algorithm to make it easier to understand history. I'm not saying any of that stuff. My point ultimately is that it's a tool that I feel like is going to just make rich people richer. I don't know. Anyway, I think that's the end of the show for today. Um, I've done. I ranted and raved a lot. I probably said some dangerous shit on here. But I think it's important that we talk about this stuff. Support your local writers. Oh, by the way, I wanted to say this. There are many of you who are in the same boat that I am where you're not allowed... um, to uh, work right now. You're not allowed to pitch your stuff right now uh, because of the writer's strike. And some of you may be offered jobs, right? And this is something that I'm reading off the blacklist right now. I'm just going to read this. We'll end this. The Writers Guild of America East and West are currently on strike against major studios and networks What's at stake is nothing less than the future of writing as a viable career. I completely agree with that statement. For too long the companies have devalued writers, forcing them to look forcing them to work longer for less money with less creative control and fewer opportunities to advance. Completely agree with that statement. During the strike the writers guild members are prohibited from selling or optioning scripts, from pitching and from being hired to write. So all Writers Guild members are not allowed to do that. If a non-member undermines the strike by selling or optioning a script to a guild signatory company or by getting hired to write by a guild company during the strike, the guilds will not admit them to membership ever. You will no longer be able to be a part of the Writers union. So, if a producer, or agent, or anyone approaches you during the strike to develop or do a deal, don't do it. Even if it's because they read your script on the blacklist, tell them that you'd be delighted to work with them after the strike. For now, you are standing in solidarity with the members of the writers' guilds. Uh, if you do that, you won't be you won't be prohibited from hiring representation, um, but that representative can't make any deals for you. Uh, with any of the hundreds of struck companies, taking work during the strike or scabbing is not a way to start a career. It is the way to end one, is what they're saying. Okay, so this is on the blacklist, which is a, a infamous website uh, for unproduced screenplays, for uh, unfound screenplay writers and so they're just warning all of those folks out there because some of these companies make it desperate and go after people that aren't union representatives and at the end of the day there are some stuff that the union is fighting for that is very uniony I get that stuff but ultimately at the at the end of the day they're starting the conversation about AI we'll see where it goes with AI but This is really fucking important, man, because I said this for the music video world when we were going through the music video stuff where suddenly um, that career is now non-existent. You cannot be just a music video director because those companies have, have run that into the mud, right? Photographer world so hard to just be a photographer and have that be your only career path right now. You got to be doing 100 million other things. You got to be a creative director. You got to be a director because they've devalued photographer and the the world of photography. Commercial world, very similar, right? Now it's pushing this way. Get in front of it, people. Get in front of it before you now no, no longer have a job. And I'm not talking about stopping innovation. AI is a tool for creatives. Let's try to keep it from being a tool that replaces creatives. Uh, sorry if I ranted too much, but uh, that's what I was feeling today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And as I said earlier, if you feel like uh, your boy doesn't know what he's talking about, write to me, let me know. If you want to be more specific, if you want me to be more specific about writing stuff, let me know. I'm reaching out to you. Uh, screenplay writers right now. I'm going to try to get a few of them on the show um, and uh, get to the bottom of what their thoughts are on it. And this will be something that I'm sure we'll be talking about through August. All right. Anyway, thanks for listening. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> what am I from the South? And uh, as always, uh, I'll be back next Tuesday with something new. All right. See ya. See ya.